Welcome to episode three of Out of Your Tree podcast with me, Marie. This episode is called Safe and Effective. I know that my episodes aren't consistent with what I originally planned for, but I do have a lot of fun doing them and will try to get them out more often. It's just going to take a little to gather my sea legs. Today I will be going over harrowing history of medical science where we will wonder by the end how did the human race survive? No, really, how? On that note, how are we surviving today? Medical science has evolved immensely over the years and we have improved a lot of tools, methods, and even diagnosis. Some things, as you will learn here today, we are still practicing. I am going to start with ancient Rome, as they intrigued the hell out of me. Firstly, they were pretty hindered with their laws to no dissection of the human body due to religious, ethical, and public health concerns. Instead, they relied on dissecting animals like pigs and primates. These dissections were also for public viewing, as they were very bored, easily entertained people. Their theory was that people's health, mental, and body were controlled by the four quote-unquote humors. These were blood, phlegm, yellow bile, and black bile. They were also connected to four elemental qualities, hot, cold, wet, and dry. One way they diagnosed was through the patient's dreams. Their dream would then be deciphered into one of the four humors, and they determine a treatment based on that. Let's also note here that to be a physician, one must simply proclaim that they are one, there is no test or training to be a doctor, and a female could be a doctor too. Cato the Elder, a Roman historian, said cabbage was a superfood that eating it cured headaches, vision impairments, and digestive issues. Typically, it healed wounds, contusions, sores, and dislocations. It could also be in a liquid form poured into the ear to treat hearing impairment. Wild, right? Not as wild as their form of mouthwash. Due to the ammonia and cleaning properties of it, they'd use urine to swish in their mouth. They also used it to wash their laundry, making their clothes brighter, and even taxed it as people would sell it. Ew! You'll find a site stating that this is a myth, but I personally put a lot more trust into the Smithsonian, who has studied history at the source of sources, than to believe the one random article of whom has no access to these ancient scrolls. Dentures is no different in its wild growth since early times than medical procedures and tools were. Dentists used to use ivory, the product of tusks of hippos, elephants, and walruses. They had a habit of decay and didn't match the other teeth most times. Another thing they used were human teeth robbed from the graves and sold often. In 1815, 50,000 men were killed in Battle of Waterloo, and the quality of human teeth improved as the soldiers were young and healthy. They called them Waterloo teeth, which became the fashion in Britain. They continued to use human teeth until the late 1860s, to which when they'd used the teeth of the deceased soldiers of the American Civil War. A lot of us know of good old Charles Goodyear, a man who discovered how to make flexible rubber in 1843. His brother Nelson patented that new material as vulcanite in 1851. Because of dentures being made with this material, middle-class citizens were able to also afford them. Porcelain teeth were invented in France in the late 1700s, why am I not surprised? But they weren't sought after as much due to their habit of cracking and grating. They still use it today though, oddly enough. But people have gotten pretty creative before dentures were a thing. For example, Queen Elizabeth would stuff cloth in her gaps when in public in her reign from 1558 to 1603. 
1898, Bayer & Co. used heroin as a pain reliever and a cough suppressant. They packaged and sold the drug in an amber glass bottle and promised customers that it was safe and effective. This medicine was for anyone who had that cough they wanted to be rid of, and yes, that included children. On that note, in the mid-1880s, there was a product called Cocaine Toothache Drops. While we all knew that it was in our Coca-Cola drinks once upon a time, cocaine was also a magical drug that treated just about anything. Depression, sinusitis, alcoholism, impotence. They put them in tonics, lozenges, and cigarettes. There was no need for a doctor's prescription for this either. By 1902, around 200,000 people were addicted to cocaine. Huh, I wonder why. interesting pattern with science, doctors, and the government that it continues to shock me that we are still encouraged to never question them and encouraged to silence those who do. After all, questioning science is a practice that scientists do every day. Their purpose is to better understand the way things work. But enough of that, let's let the history of science do the real talking. Take radium. What is it? By definition, it is the chemical element of atomic number 88 a rare radioactive metal of the alkaline Earth series. It was formerly used as a source of radiation for radiotherapy. This component was discovered by Pierre and Marie Curie with the help of Henry Becquerel. The Great Radium Craze began in 1903. Radium was a miracle that treated many things, and it was such a miracle that it would benefit your overall health to consume it. Radium water, radium butter, radium energy drinks, and let's not stop there. They also had radium condoms in a tin labeled the radium nutex, radium bar soap, radium hair dye, radium feminine hygiene products, cosmetics, matches, really, you name it, and they made it. They loved it so much that they even had a factory of women who would paint the substance on watches due to the convenience of its soft glow. Well, word has it that the women who were buried 100 years ago are still glowing within their graves. The movie The Radium Girls does an excellent job with telling this story, and I highly recommend it. Long exposure to radium can cause cancer, anemia, cataracts, and reduce bone growth. It's now known to not be safe and effective. Obviously, right? Imagine a hundred years from now and the ridiculous practices our descendants will scoff at us for. That's the beauty of growth and science, always ever-changing and bettering for the future. There is an absurd practice I heard of and I had to do more research. This goes back to the 10th century of King Sancho I of Leon, who was the king of Leon twice. The first reign was 956 to 958. He'd won the throne after his older brother had died in 956, but his first reign was short due to his large size. Researchers estimate his weight to be around 530 pounds. Fernand Gonzalez of Castile led the nobles to depose him and he'd gained the nickname Sancho the Fat. They stressed that he was unable to mount or ride his horse, and therefore was unfit to rule and protect his subjects. They mocked his inability to get out of bed or walk without help, betting his wife. His diet was mostly game, seven meals a day with 17 different dishes. Queen Toda, Sancho's grandmother, found and hired Hasde Ibn Shaprut, a Jewish physician to help him lose weight. His treatment was to be tied to his bed, only leaving to exercise long walks while being pulled by slaves and an assistant to lean on. When he was done walking, he would take steam baths. As for the diet, Hasday ordered for his mouth to be sewn shut with a small opening, 
so he could drink Hebrew herbs through a straw. He was on a liquid diet seven times a day that has day combined salt water, orange flour, boiled veggies and fruit, and water. Sometimes he'd throw a little opium in there and various other unknown ingredients. Sancho had rapidly lost weight and was able to regain his throne once more in 960 and reigned another six years before dying of poison before the age of 35. Today, they still practice locking a person's mouth shut to diet, only they don't sew their mouths together. Dentists have gone from wiring a person's mouth shut to locking their teeth closed with magnets. Crazy, but not as crazy as this. It was common to use animal dung in multiple situations as a cure for diseases or treatments. Ancient Greece used crocodile dung as a female contraceptive. And in ancient Egypt, warriors used animal dung for battle wounds, sheep dung in Scotland for smallpox, pig dung to stop nosebleeds. Fun fact, somehow humans know that dried out dung can burn longer than wood, and the use of doing so is still in practice today. I've said dung so many times that I have a headache. Oh wait, nope, nope, I don't. I mean, I wouldn't want to tell any surgeons between the 1890s and the 1920s. These were the years the surgeons would experiment on their patients, and by 1930s, lobotomies were a common practice. Mostly, they found the lobotomies quote-unquote useful for those with mental health conditions, or those with intellectual disabilities, criminals, or those who were gay. Around 75% of the patients were women. Ladies, how are we not ruling the world yet? Just kidding. Maybe. In 1780, two Scott doctors invented the very first version of a chainsaw to cut through pelvises of mothers delivering babies and having trouble pushing them out. This was a small hand crank chainsaw, which later became larger chainsaws for cutting trees and wood, and then later developed into what they are today. Did you know that ketchup was sold as medicine? In the 1830s, Dr. John Cook Bennett proposed this idea and later sold it as tomato pills. It was said to cure diarrhea, indigestion, and jaundice. Yes, folks, it was sold in pharmacies as medicine before it hit the grocery store condiments. I want to end this episode with telling you about the fastest surgeon, or as they called him, the fastest knife. Dr. Robert Liston, born in 1794, died in 1847, this Scottish surgeon was the only one who has the only mortality rate of 300%. He did this in one surgery, where he was amputating a leg in front of a crowd of spectators, because back then people watched a lot of weird shit for entertainment. While cutting off the leg, he also cut off his assistant's fingers. When he brought his knife up, it clipped a man in the crowd's coattails, and he died. Heart attack or fright. The assistant and the patient both died due to infection. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, though, since anesthesia didn't exist back then and most surgeons went with speed to lower blood loss and reduce pain. But I'm only cutting him a little slack, as it's obvious he let his fame get to his head while he announced, Time me, gentlemen, before each surgery. I mean, the guy cut off a man's balls while amputating his leg. This was a surgery where he broke his personal record by finishing in under two and a half minutes. Well, folks, that's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.